This is the Enneagram 8 Podcast, and we're here to take you inside the armor. This is my mom, Jan. Hi, nice to meet you. Thank you very much for doing this. We have had a really, really hard time finding ones because um, as you'll hear, um, Aaron and I seem to not get along with them. (laughs) Kate doesn't have a choice. I'm a mother. That's right. (laughs) right. Yeah. Why don't you guys just kind of chat back and forth about who you were as a mom? And um, I have some ideas that I'm going to lay out to help you figure out what kind of one you are, because it really changes the vibe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think I'm atypical one in a sense. I'm not generically sort of perfectionist, which is what ones tend to get kind of lumbered with. I think I do definitely have perfectionist type areas of my life but I wouldn't say I'm generically a perfectionist. If you I mean if you walked into my house you would know straight away because it's not pristine you know I don't care if the dishwasher isn't stacked as I want it you know I'm not like that but I think most people's perception of ones is that they're just really pedantic about absolutely everything and you know, I don't know whether it's because I'm older now or I've had brought up three kids and, you know, like I know life isn't per- perfect. Mm-hmm. It would not, it would be nice if it was. I don't try and make everything perfect anymore. I don't right. know if I've ever been really like that. So that's why I say I'm a bit atypical. What is it that lets you know that you are one to begin with? What is it that you relate with? Well, a very, very strong inner critic. Mm. That's how I could differentiate between, because I've, I've often thought maybe I'm a nine with a one wing. Nines don't generally have the inner critic. No. But I really do. That was why I definitely. And the, the strong desire to be good, to be seen as good. Like yeah, that, those yeah. desires. As... A, a strong sort of moral compass. Yeah. I always want to be doing the right thing by people. So that's where my perfectionism is, I think. Okay, I have some thoughts, um, because you're sounding a lot like my son. So I have a a one son. He also just doesn't fit the mold of Mm -hmm. ones in a lot of ways, one being that I actually get along with him. So here's why. So here are the three kinds of ones. And I happen to have had a lot of interactions with all three. So I think I've got a good sense. The one that I struggle with the most is the sexual one. And they're the ones that are, they cannot leave their people alone. They're always trying to change them. And they mean well. It's just that obsessive thing uh, Kate and I understand with the sexual energy. We um, we feel compelled to express. And so this kind of one is compelled to show their people that there's a more right way of being. Okay, and so yeah. needless to say, Kate and I would not do well with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because we know who we are. And so that is the sexual one. And they're trying to reform their closest people. And then the social ones. So they'd be the people that mobilize big groups, and they use all of their force and energy and whatnot, to get the group society culture to change. Yeah. And I find them easier, mainly because they're not targeting me. They like to try and mobilize me into the group that they like. But if I say no, they're busy dealing with too many other people. So I find them a little easier. And the one I think you might be is self-pres. And the reason I say that is because the anger and rigidity that we 
with scents is less obvious with you guys. It's kept far more quiet. You're not even as aware of it. Um, mm-hmm. It's in there, but yeah. all of your perfectionism is focused on your own self. You'd be yeah. the most self-critical. You would be um, trying to fine-tune your own self according to your own standards. And so that would rub up against eights a lot less because mm-hmm. you are more internally trying to deal with yeah i I think your uh, description of those three different types is is really clear i've not thought of it like that i thought of self-preserving as somebody that just takes care of themselves no in a sort of um selfish way (laughs) yeah in a selfish way and that that's their first thoughts you know what's going to work for me and i'm not so I've never really identified as self-preserving before because that's what I thought the criteria was. No, I know. We've had to do a lot of work to kind of explain that, even to ourselves, because Aaron and I struggled with thinking self-present selfish, but it doesn't. It means that intuitively, like, you know, on an airplane, when the gas masks kind of fall down, you grab it because you're going to then help other people immediately, but you need to deal with yourself first so that you can help other people. So they're like very generous people. It's just instinctively, they know they have stuff they need to sort out. So in your case, you would be um, trying to make sure that you are all aligned and you have all your integrity in order and you know, you're not out of alignment because then you can be better for other people. That's absolutely true. That's that is true. That is yeah. absolutely true. That's a really clear. But mum does have a want to. Mum has very deep, close friendships and relationships, and yeah. goes goes after depth, which can feel, you know, typically a bit Essex. That's why I wasn't sure. Yeah. And then socially, you're also very aware of the group, and you carry a lot of burden and pressure for everybody to be taken care of comfortable um, I would say my brother yeah. was who introduced us all to the Enneagram and he was convinced my mom was a two and I was like everything my mum does that looks like a two she doesn't get a drop of life out of it it's right. just <laughs> he does it with this resentful duty but like gifts you're like oh god oh no <laughs> you know absolutely she hates it so she does it because she should but she doesn't get anything out of it do you not at all it's exactly (laughs) a real stress for me to think of things I'd rather give somebody a nice meal and be done you know I I just can't because I'm afraid of getting it wrong I hate spending money on the wrong thing you know it's just a very stressful time to to be buying presents and things yeah that's (laughs) absolutely true that also fits (laughs) self-pres I think we're pretty clear on that (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's clear because I know when, so my dad led a church and when you just couldn't give anymore, you just didn't. Mm -hmm. Mum didn't feel like she could even attend for a long period of time because she didn't feel like she could attend and give people what they needed because she wasn't doing okay. Right. So so even though everybody kind of raised an eyebrow that my mum wasn't going to the church that her husband was leading for huge portions of time, <laughs> yeah, you didn't seem to care, which I would have cared more. I don't, I'd like to, I like to think I don't care what people think, but I would have felt more of that pressure of like, don't look like you can't handle this scenario. Yes, yes. Don't look like you're, you're not coping. That would be a bit mortifying for me because I'd hate to be perceived as... Well, like I, I wasn't able to. Yeah, you've been very generous. I think I really was at the end of my rope so that I didn't really have a choice. I think had I not been, I would have forced myself. 
because of those reasons you know and also other people were incredibly gracious you know they were like we understand yeah so, but you are tuned in though you are tuned into when you're done okay i'm yeah. not as tuned in to that mm-hmm. that's also self-preservation though there's like a very strong inner gauge yeah. in when you need to put up your boundary okay. yeah we're just adding more evidence i think <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely, that's quite interesting. Well, thanks, Joe. You've Illumin- diagnosed Illuminating that. for yeah. me. <laughs> Good. God, just like I'm reflecting on my son and just um, as an eight, I can say there's this ache in my chest for him a lot of the time because I am sensing himself beating himself up quietly. It's a really interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a mom, I want to set him free, right? Mm-hmm. Everything about our eightishness really really hurts and aches when we see other people almost making their own prisons and so I spend a lot of time trying to like bathe him in the truth of all his good things and and whatnot but I am not louder than his inner voice and it's sad (laughs) yeah I I think for me it was years before I realized I had an inner critic even though it was the loudest voice in my world yeah yeah Um, I hadn't put language to that. I just thought everybody was like that. Yeah. So the fact that he's got some a mum that's so aware. How old is he? He is twenty. Oh right, right. So is he is he into the Enneagram? Does he recognise this critic? The reason why we knew he was a one is because I asked him that question. I said, like, do you ever give your own self a rest? And he just never does. And there was evidence of it even in them. He is very mechanical and he he loves to build things. And he was relentless about the excellence of his work. And it really wasn't for other people. Like it really was because there was, I could see the machine inside him that wouldn't allow him to rest until something inside him clicked. And he was like, yes, we have achieved like whatever this thing is that he was after. And he didn't ever impose it on other people, like ever, ever. He doesn't expect that from us, but he expected it from himself. And it was done very quietly. He's not at all in tune with his anger. Like he's, he wouldn't identify himself as an angry person, but we would see it just kind of explode out every now and then. Right. So yes, he definitely resonates with it, but not with the stereotype, much like you. He's, he just doesn't resonate with that kind of rigid... Yeah. Difficult, I don't know. inflexible. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I think the relationship dynamic being the opposite way around, mum being, you know, the one, the mother being the one and the child being the eight, my mum's high standards definitely spilled over to expectations yeah. on us as kids. Mm-hmm. And I, I think everybody has their values set out, but I think it was such a high focus when we were growing up, wasn't it? Well, yeah. I just really wanted you to... I, I knew My family was like that, so I wanted you to fit in with them. Mm. I didn't want you to be criticised by my ultra-critical family because you hadn't got decent table manners or stuff like that. So, again, I suppose that's my self-preservation spilling over. You know, you don't mm-hmm. want to jeopardise your children's relationships because you've been lax in explaining how the world works, you know, particularly in the family context. Mum made everything from scratch when we were really little, bread from scratch. We never had like canned jars of sauces and he did everything the right way when it came to... Mostly, mostly. No, yeah. you did, Mum. 
And she had a big old arga that would do you to light a fire in to cook, bake, anything. <laughs> like really old school cottage that we lived in in Scotland. And you tired yourself out doing things the way in your mind they should be done. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I guess I did, really. I guess I did for some of the time. <laughs> I think, yeah, your memories. So there was periods, there were seasons when I did that and then we moved and I didn't do that. Because you had a full-time job as well. And I had a full-time job and I got a cleaner to come in. Oh, yeah. Irene. Irene. She oh. smelled so bad for a cleaner. <laughs> it's not very good. Her yeah, it not... reeked. It was not very good marketing, really. She smelled <laughs> It smelled like a fat fryer and a and a oh. dog. <laughs> I knew she'd been in my room because it smelled worse. Oh, oh, no. oh no. <laughs> um, I want to hear more about um let's do the hard bit first. <laughs> yes. So I'd like to hear kind of Jan, your perception of things that frustrated you about Kate's personality. And I can actually already say, like, my son struggles with my driving. <laughs> I am basically a race car driver when I drive and it's all about efficiency and speed and like yeah. I have absolutely no interest in following the rules and so I just drive how I want to <laughs> drive and he can't stand it like he cannot stand it it's like so really he struggles a lot with it and he will comment very quietly but firmly about my imperfection in driving I suppose yeah he doesn't love when I am quite flagrant with the rule breaking but for his own reasons, right? I think it feels yeah. unsafe, maybe, yeah. to him. So I am curious, like, what it was like to raise Kate the hard bits. And Kate, then also, please feel free to yeah. explain why it was hard to have that one-ish energy with eight. And then we'll move on to the positive after that. Me being me, I've explained it several times. So it'd be nice to hear from mum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hold no punches, mum. No, 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 no. I'm just trying. I don't know where to start, really. Um, I think words. as Kate grew, grew, when she was younger, she she just was very talkative, very extrovert. So there was tensions there because she wouldn't internalize anything. Because mm. everything that came into her head was spoken out. And so I used to feel very tired because she just never stopped talking. And yeah. <laughs> she always had quite a strong opinion and um you know I lean a lot into my nine you know where I have got strong opinions but not on every subject in the world <laughs> <laughs> and and so that energy was quite maybe overwhelming I, d I can't think of another word I, that's a bit too strong it was it, it was draining. tiring draining yeah. a little bit draining yeah mm -hmm. As she got older and life started to serve her some curveballs and things, sorry, back up a bit. When she was, she was very open about the issues she was facing at school and she didn't hold back on that. So I was very aware of her pain and how difficult relationships were for her sometimes. And, and so, you know, I, I was really heavily burdened for her. I think as time's gone on, yeah, her energy can be quite intimidating to me. And mm -hmm. especially if she's in stress and it's coming out as anger because I always think, oh, well, I, I think I've always felt I've done something wrong. When actually she's just generically sort of annoyed and stressed about things or annoyed mm -hmm. and out it comes. Because, you know, eights are very verbal. 
Yeah, so I just found that hard to navigate, really, and feel like I was doing a good job advising her or... Did it ever happen that Kate charged you with something you did not do, like said that you were wrong about something you knew you weren't, and that triggered your anger? Yeah, I think when we were both hitting, you know, difficult patches, definitely, yeah. We had a lot of clashes and conflict. Yeah, and I felt that there was no room for negotiation, so the accusation would come, and Kate's incredibly articulate, Mm -hmm. and I couldn't remember... But what she was accusing me could have happened, but that wasn't my heart or my motive. Right. (laughs) If mum paused or, and this is back in my like teenage, raw, savage self, you know, I wasn't a healthy version of myself. I was very rawly myself, if that makes sense. But if mum paused, then if I was in argument stance and mum paused and couldn't remember, it was, I just dismissed I was just like, well, not valid, not valid. It was such a clash. I think Mm -hmm. my anger in general was what made you angry. You wanted wanted me to really submit and stop being so angry. And I just didn't know another way to express pain. I just, you know, had I known about eights when I was raising Kate, I think life would have been just easier because I would have, we would have both understood we were coming from. Yeah, I, I always felt like, I could not arguments off for winning or losing, but I always felt I lost the argument with Kate mm-hmm. and that frustrated me because I thought I wasn't a good mum. Right. I couldn't turn her views round to see mm-hmm. it my way. And therefore I felt like I'd failed. The reason I asked that question just about the anger is like, I've experienced that you're right. We're very verbal and trying to raise up a kid so just we're inversed right so I'm the eight mom he's the one Mm -hmm. child and I have a job to do and eights are tricky in that we make assumptions and don't ask a ton of questions like I'm learning to now but Mm -hmm. I would make statements about why he did something which when it was true like when I got it right what would happen is he'd go deeply internal and he knew it was true and it just increased his inner critic which is horrible absolutely horrible but if I got it wrong it's like his inner critic which knew what was right and wrong inside him and knew what was aligned and what wasn't Mm -hmm. couldn't handle it it's like he Mm short-circuited if I made a statement that was just wildly not aligned with the true Mm -hmm. thing happening and he his anger would come out and weirdly I liked it Because then, then I knew where he was at. Yeah, yeah and it's finally rea- we like the reaction and the big energy. I think. Oh well, and also it's just um, it's not even for the sake of reaction. It's that I finally knew what was going on. I struggled right. so much with like the sense that he was really in turmoil inside, but he he very rarely could express it. And so I just, I remember just in hindsight, realizing there were certain times he'd express, and I think it was when I got it wrong and Mm -hmm. his sense of justice and fairness and inner truth was so offended, like so pushed on that the anger finally came out. And in this subtype, it doesn't come out a lot. And so anyway, I just wanted to. Yeah, that's so true. And by at that stage, you know, being falsely accused of something, even though it might look like that. You knew that in your heart of hearts, that's not what you intended. Yeah. That, 
That's incredibly crushing. And if you can't sort of get the details right for an eight that's kind of staring you right in the eyeballs, it's like I just go to a place of kind of, I go to a four, I'm like, I don't want to live. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> really sort of down because I, I just couldn't match the the verbal barrage. barrage. Yeah. <laughs> I'm choosing my words, but yes, exactly. So I'd just cry probably, you know, mm-hmm. I'd feel so defeated. And Which, it's funny discussing this because everything I did brought out the worst response in you and all of your reactions brought out the worst response in me. Because yeah, if I Because I was waiting for a challenge back. I wanted to be put in my place, I think, deep mm. down. And I wanted to not feel as powerful as I felt, mm. I think, because I think there was moments where it scared me. But when my mum would just then cry, it made me so mad. I remember being a kid being yeah. like, stop crying yeah. to you, like... Yeah. Why are you always crying? I just hated it. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. there was such a massive disconnect. I think what saved us is because I was so external and talkative, me and mum had a really long drive every day to my, to my school. And because I was so open, we had really long, good chats every day. We did over everything. I mean, there was no stone unturned, Kate. Kate would talk about things way beyond our years, you know, where do babies come from and how do they get in there and why is that lady not married and she's got children and, you know, all sorts of things. So I didn't sort of shy away from there. I like that kind of honesty. And we did, We although we had these terrible kind of collisions, we basically had a good relationship, I think, because we talked a lot. Mm-hmm. 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 and you listened so well and let you never put parameters on I wanted to talk about everything I wanted to, I have got such a hunger to understand and I think my mum my never shied away from any of those questions and I think that really helped us I think that was mm-hmm. we also laughed loads mm-hmm. we really connect in humor that is everything. And the reason I say that is just because I sense inside one such an inner rigidity. It's almost like it feels to me uh, like an unkindness towards self, right? And a seriousness and a solemnness that, that I sense. And our family's ridiculous. Like we, we really struggle to take much seriously. We're always laughing. And yeah. it really does something good to yeah. his insides, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that's such a, such a relief from the kind of net, net, net with yeah. your inner critic. That's it's right. the opposite, and you so need it. I don't mm-hmm. know. And I was so seven growing up, and you, yeah. would, come, you would come and meet me there, I think, mm. and we would just be silly and laugh at things we shouldn't laugh at and <laughs> push all the boundaries, and we, we really can, we still do connect on that. And that, yeah. I think the, the space for me to talk about anything and our laughter and the time because time matters a lot to me and we had a lot of that because of the long drives I think that they were strong enough foundations that after the rough teenage years we could come back we got there yeah even through those rough years we still it wasn't like day after day after day after day after day it was like there were gaps when we hit normality a bit and normal life resumed (laughs) Yeah. And I do feel like what you said earlier about um, the inner critic of what you were saying, Joe, is I felt I felt so sad that my mum didn't see herself the way 
I did. And I think as a kid that came out like, Mum, I'll take you shopping. You look so nice in that or mm -hmm. your makeup. Or mm -hmm. I think I was always trying to, in my own way to make my mum feel, I think you were. be kinder to herself. Mm -hmm. and, would, and I think I got quite sophisticated with encouragement because I felt my dad is is similar but he's a foreign he's similarly got a low self-esteem well he's fours are fours I don't know just <laughs> deep down I'm not sure he really values himself that much because he's a four so it comes off like they're ultra sure of themselves but I think yes. it's because they've got no choice they have to mm -hmm. be a hundred percent themselves regardless yeah, yeah. Be authentic because they've right? got to be authentic within themselves but I don't I think he kind of anyway I think I got good at encouragement because I just desperately wanted my mum to not do that well, to herself. I think that's a huge thing about eights. You know, they're so articulate and they can use words positively and negatively, mm -hmm. but incredibly positively. Like powerfully so. Powerfully. Yeah. I mean, some of the most, I mean, my love language is words. And yeah. so some of the, I'm going to cry in a minute, but um, some of the most precious words I've ever heard from anybody have come from Kate mm -hmm. and so that's that's hugely enriching in our relationship I have a cautionary tale I can put in here because of how you're expressing Kate that you sense that in your mom and I express that I sense that in my son and it made us want to adjust to take care of them and give them permission to be kinder to themselves and set them free. We do that. Like we intuitively want to set other people free from their own selves almost, let alone other people. But in this case, we're dealing with an internal enemy with you guys. What happened is that the next son is a three with a four. So he's type three leaning four, which means that general package looks like a truly self-confident, capable kid who's okay with giving himself what he wants. Like, that's what he looked like. And mm -hmm. so what happened is I always lavished my upbuilding words on the one kid that looked like he was beating himself up uh, yeah. and forgot to do it with the one that looked like he was doing just fine. Yes. Because I was triaging, which yeah. is what we do. Yeah. And I was looking at what looked like a lame bird with a broken wing or something. And I was, mm -hmm. I was really focused on making him strong. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the three with the four looked confident, yeah. but anybody that knows three with four knows that that is not true. Not true, yeah. <laughs> it's not true. And so these have been the years where I have been trying to make up for lost time with that kid. Mm -hmm. Right. I see that. I think that's what I'm trying to articulate for my dad. If yes. he looks like he's got all the confidence because he's always just himself. He doesn't bow to the same pressures or I should look like this. Or I don't think nearly any of that dialogue goes on in my dad's head. And so he looks very self-assured, really, because I would have to be very self-assured to never give an SHIT about anybody's opinions. Right. <laughs> the average, per average person would, but he doesn't. But I don't sense confidence, really. I'm hoping other people can learn from that to the eights that are listening because we uh yeah it's it's this particular subtype of one but there are other types that we do this with we focus our 
uh, strength building attention on them. And we, we forget that our powerful, powerful, encouraging words need to be spent on everyone, not just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not just the wounded birds. <laughs> I think the, um, when we were talking the other day about, obviously we're both, uh, we're from the UK and we were chatting, weren't we, Joe, with Erin and Kerry about what Enneagram type England was. Yeah. I think Scotland's an eight. And I think probably what um, England is a one in a lot of ways. And I think there's sometimes there's cultural pressures, especially in a more communal, more social environment like England, where people just conform to a way of living more than they would in ultra independent North America. There, I think there's a lot of oneness around that. So my mum was saying she felt she wanted us to behave a certain way so we fit with the family. There's a lot that feels quite one culturally. And so I think that does play into it. But I also think for me as an eight, I've learned to appreciate aspects of one. Like I really love the excellence because right. I, I don't do that very well. And it's something that I admire that I can't do. And I really love that there's integrity because it feels honest. And I think that's an area we've, we've met, that we both feel as passionately about things being the whole truth, nothing but the truth. We both feel like we'd, we'd fight for that. And we would also be out if it wasn't present. And so there's, there are these overlaps when people talk about, I draw a decent amount of ones in friendship which I guess is not typically eight, but I think it, partly because England feels quite one. My mum's one. I've figured out where the overlaps are. I've figured out where the shared passions are. And then if we can get to a seven place, even better, because then we can just have fun. I can learn to forgive the rigid things that, you know, some other friends I have that are ones can just, I can try and deal with that with the understanding of what's driving them, you know. And I think mm-hmm. I personally would have problems with, the other one subtypes you know these I've I've been in the presence of like I've heard it I don't know what the subtype is but like the Mary Poppins type of personality where they're always trying to correct everybody their world is perfect and everybody that comes across their path needs to be perfect and if you're not yeah that would be the sexual one the one right yeah like well I I think you go to that at times do you (laughs) I do I think you do with dad and I think you you've done it through different like seasons of our childhood when we were younger because I hate that oh (laughs) sorry (laughs) I would hate to be in the presence of somebody always trying to correct maybe I have done that in the past yeah yeah I do do it with dad sometimes well he's so off sometimes (laughs) somebody needs to correct him (laughs) he's a four a real real four not many of his uh thoughts make much sense to the person observing where are you going with it what okay okay what and i keep telling him this that he's not great (laughs) here we go (laughs) conversation so it's not a he's great at monologue but he waits for you to stop talking so he can get his point across. Mm. There's not a dialogue like we're having now. He would just get on a track and go. So, yeah. I, you know, to engage people in conversation, you need to really listen. And I think listening, I, th- I think, is really underrated. I think listening to people and listening Amen. <laughs> to is 
It's like the biggest honor you can give somebody. But if you're just actually waiting for them to stop talking so that you can tell you tell them what you think, I think that the opposite happens. You feel like, I don't feel listened to. I don't feel validated. You know, so mm-hmm. and I that that's crosses a value with me. Yeah. That's why mm-hmm. I correct it. <laughs> yeah, so, I yes. think um, that might be what saved you guys. That might be what works is you're a one that listens. Fine. One that listens. And I'm an eight that's incredibly interested in people. Yeah. So I listen because I'm yeah. genuinely fascinated to hear why you like, what's going, what? Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So who was your friends in that period? Because I just want to understand. And I mm-hmm. think that makes people feel loved and known. You make yeah. people feel loved and known by creating Mum creates space, but she also creates a a really calm, there's nothing off limits. You can say, and it's not like me, I'm like, be as crazy as you want and I'll laugh at it. Mum's, there's nothing off limits to share. Like all of my mates growing up wanted to tell my mum their problems or wanted mm. to be in our house because it felt peaceful. And yeah. my mum does that for people because... There's a safety because everybody knows where they lie. I think mum's boundaries are very clear. Do you? You would not come in and start really swearing or being really crude around you because you'd just feel embarrassed of yourself if you did. Mm-hmm. But there, there's something you give off that's dignified, but there's also simultaneously space to talk about anything. And I think that's a really unique combination. I think that's why people feel so so safe talking to you. That's very, very affirming thank you when kate you said the thing that you admire most is integrity i looked down because i'd written that that not just ones with the main type being one but nines that lean one that energy of principled integrity and kind of sticking to something inside them is something i also really admire and i think eights across the board would say yeah that they admire that and the funny thing is i think eights attribute to themselves that trait but it's not true (laughs) so just hear me out (laughs) hear me out (laughs) it's one of the things i had to learn about us (laughs) the way not that way no so we have a ton of integrity for every moment that we're in do you know what i'm saying so we aren't lying like we really mean it i i've said this often is we genuinely are aligned inside ourselves when we are verbalizing (laughs) these things it's just that we're incredibly curious and open like kate said and um quite energized by listening and and getting input and all the dynamic thing that happens that somehow we're also quite changeable um Mm -hmm. and teachable and so we Mm -hmm. could end the day with a different stance than we started with earlier in the day, it doesn't mean lack of integrity, but it it looks like lack of integrity, probably, Mm -hmm. especially to a one, because we probably seem changeable. Like the thing that isn't changeable is that we're intense and, and we know how to vocalize and all that. But I personally have struggled not to see it as a weakness that I change my mind a lot. Yeah, if I may speak on behalf of ones, I think it's the fact that we're willing to literally go to war about something we haven't thought through. I think that's (laughs) where we lose a lot of the numbers because they're just like, you haven't even thought about this and you were attacking. (laughs) Right. What are you doing? You know, I think think so many numbers, the feedback I get about eights, it's it's that. It's like, how do you not pause when you know (laughs) my feelings are going to be hurt? And you don't even know you really think that. Like, 
I feel like that, John, we lose a lot of sixes that way. We, yeah. I want to learn to pause more. I think that's something across the board we have to practice because it's not very natural. Well, I'll tell you a true story. This is a story about uh, one who was basically a sister to me and I lost her and I lost her recently. And the reason I lost her, she was a, a sexual one. So this is somebody who is deeply invested in their people. And I was one of her people. And we originally worked so beautifully together because we we happened to be walking the same road. And so we were aligned with what she thought was right and good. You know, it just happened to be the same thing I did. And that that's eight and one at their best. But what happened is we diverged and I started to learn and change. And as I did my eight passionate thing and started to verbalize with all the passion and fire that we have her inner critic must have really beat herself up and it became intolerable. And at some point she told me like, I need to get away from this and what you're doing. And she attributed malice to me. Like I was trying to beat her up about something and I wasn't, right? I was just being passionate about this new understanding I had. And I remember telling her, I made that mistake again. I thought you were a sparring partner in the ring with me that was having fun. I thought you were having as much fun as I was because she was really good at throwing punches, like very fiery and good at it. And I had gotten that wrong. Mm, wow. And she just felt beat up. <laughs> but I thought we were having fun. Yeah, just yeah. getting to the heart of the matter. Yeah. yeah. I do think when we're, when we're good, there's a lot of overlap. Like we said, the integrity and what you just mentioned of my mum has a group of people and she'll do just about anything within her capacity for those people. She's incredibly committed. And I think what I've realized for AIDS is respect is such a huge key component. Yeah. I have to respect somebody. And a lot of what mum represents, and I think she's driven there by her oneness, I really respect. I respect how she takes care of her people. My mum will challenge me when she feels strong enough on something. I really respect that. Yeah, I respect the integrity. I respect the strength that it takes to just absolutely dig your heels in when you feel like you need to I think growing in respect has helped do you think in the the conflict that you've just explained I'm just thinking the sort of orientation of present and future because you know, you described sort of she was throwing a punches you were throwing punches but I think you guys you've got a very different perspective on life you see the woods whereas we're bogged down with the trees yeah and sometimes we need time mm-hmm. um, where you guys don't, you've got there. And and sometimes maybe that's that's the issue with ones not kind of keeping up. They're kind of in the now. They're involved with their inner critic. They're trying to process. They're not seeing the picture like you are. And I, I think ones can quickly get a bit intimidated because mm-hmm. they're just bogged down and it feels like they can't see the wood for the trees and mm-hmm. that's their perspective and and so just need a bit longer to come out the other side and and look at it more objectively after you know i think relationships especially relationships that have been so meaningful and good you know are so worth preserving and mm-hmm. She will want that, I'm sure. She won't want this going on unresolved. Yeah. Might just be a, a question of timing. 
That's happened with us, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, most of the time, because I said it was funny yesterday, we were talking about an appointment I'd got, and someone said, When is it? And I said, Oh, it's in, it's, I don't know, it's next week, I think. And she said, Well, it might be Monday when I'm not actually at home. I said, No, it's not Monday, but I said, I can't think of the future. <laughs> but I, I feel handicapped. You know, the, the future, thinking future is quite a struggle. It really mm. is. I mean, I can do it if I really try, but I have to, you know, stop thinking about everything else and focus. Whereas that's sort of second nature to you. That's where you live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And the nature of what we were fighting about was kind of time oriented. <laughs> so I was forecasting all sorts of things. And I think she was being utterly overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we can be overwhelming for lots of reasons. I'll yeah. Say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not just expressing something that's difficult to envisage be because it's in the future but you're doing it with a lot of passion and fire which yeah just feels like ah, I don't know what to do with this you know so that could be the clash mm-hmm. I mean I think she'd probably value what you're doing together so much that because mm-hmm. we both me and mum have a hard time with unresolved anything but it, our time frame is very different. But we always come back because we're both really committed yes. to each other and to to cl- the people that are in our circle. To resolve We'll stuff. do just yeah. about anything to resolve it. So yeah. I want to rush through like I shouted at you two seconds ago, but I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let's just move past it. Come on, why aren't you moving past it? Move past it. Well, let's, and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> like, and John's the same. I think lots of people in my life are the same. There, you know, comes conflict. I'm like, recognize it straight away. I was in the wrong and I've cooled down and I've moved on to the next thing. And it just doesn't work like that for nearly anyone else. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really hopeful. It's hopeful because what I'm hearing. <laughs> so a thing Aaron and I have struggled with is we have a hard time even imagining because we've never experienced it. A one saying, yeah, actually, you're right. <laughs> We've just never heard it. <laughs> We've never heard them come back and admit we might have been right. Um, and that says a lot about maybe how unhealthy the relationships that we've had with ones is. But um, what I'm hearing you guys say is the opposite. And it's giving me a ton of hope, I will say. And I'm really grateful for that. And I do realize this is a mother-daughter relationship. So you're right. You're kind of stuck with each other. And so that is different. It is different than Mm -hmm. friendships where you really could walk away with less carnage, I suppose. But um, I still find it very hopeful. So I am grateful for that. I don't know whether this is typical of ones, but the interior world is is important to them. So they will want to do the right thing. They might take a while to process and get it there but you know their inner critic well mine is is quite a sort of, I do recognize it a lot and put her on the back seat sometimes because I'm tired of hearing her but you know I think often she is quite a moral kind of compass as well so yeah. you'll want to do the right thing and you're not going to sit well with yourself if you don't ones could potentially come to the conclusion that they were in the right just to make peace with the that's actually a hallmark. That's how they describe the tricky thing about ones. The literature makes you think that ones just know what's right, but mm. it's that ones think they know what's right. Because that's and how they can like, reconcile their conclusions. That's right. And so they, you kind of picture like a rod running from the head to the toe of a one. 
and that's their compass of right and they align everything up against that and sometimes that happens to actually be right but but when it's not yeah. and the demand is that everything lines up with that that's yeah. really hard for everybody else around them and it's hard for them <laughs> yeah but what mum's doing is marrying you know visualizing the inner critic as a version of herself as a female who she can put in the back seat and have dialogue with who's the moral compass helping her achieve what's right but she's also got control over that and so yes. that's really a different thing from an iron rod that you you're is attached to it's way more flexible yeah so the unresolved things you want to put right because of your moral compass so that takes you to places that aren't that comfortable but you do it because it's the right thing to do which um, is my favorite thing i think about once is mm-hmm. the uh, determination to do that mm-hmm. i like that mm-hmm. most of the time i want to say i do that all the time because you have to pick your battles don't yeah. you yeah. what's what's worth it and what's not what's yeah. good to leave and what's good to pursue so what's your oh. final thoughts about eights and ones or- yeah yeah let's hear it i mean i think it can be potentially very tricky as we've discussed haven't we but i think there's huge potential to be just better people really because you've got eights in your life and you've got that energy coming at you and you learn to manage it and you learn to appreciate it and in our relationship there's a lot of common ground which we've cultivated and not intentionally it's just kind of happened intuitively I think for me anyway I don't shy away from eights I think they're great they've got energy I wish I had and they've got passion I wish I had they see things very clearly which I wish I had (laughs) there's a lot there's so much that's great in the relationship but it's not without its difficulties I can see that eights and ones work at really different speeds you know and that's helpful to know that we just need a lot more time and mm-hmm. yeah, and not and hearing mum, it's not all ones are. There are divergent types of ones. They can't be oh, categorised. Yeah. Just like we hate to be categorised as you know, fitting into very specific boxes. Ones can't be either. Nope, not at all. Well, thank you very, very much. I appreciate this. That was lovely. You ended up counselling me a little. <laughs> yeah, you did what Kate said you do. All right, I love it. <laughs> You're making me like ones more. <laughs> yes. That's it for today. We hope by now you've realized there's a lot more going on under the surface, and you'll continue to follow along as we take you inside the armor. <laughs>